listening to A Day in the Life podcast brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. Today, we are talking to Robert Pugh. Robert is a resident of Charlotte, North Carolina. He is a retired businessman, pastor, and a father of four grown children. He's also a myeloma patient who helps other patients self-advocate for their care. We invited him on today to learn how he remains positive when facing challenges. To begin, I understand, Robert, you were diagnosed with myeloma in 2014. Can you recall for us how you reacted to the diagnosis at that time? When I went into the office and he mentioned myeloma, of course, I had no idea what it was. And so I was somewhat not shocked, but I was very curious about what was next. When I went to my particular doctor and he saw a height in my calcium, he had me take certain tests. And then he said, go and see uh, this particular doctor. Now, that was the oncologist. When I arrived at the location that I saw on the building, what it said, cancer and blood, uh, I had a tear that came to my eye. And it was something that I generally say that often the heart knows what the lips dare not utter. And somehow I knew there was information in there that had to do with this. When he mentioned it to me, I didn't try to find out where it came from. I needed to know where I was. Okay, well, what are you saying to me and uh, what's next? I told him that I was a runner and that I was preparing for a race within the next month or two. And of course, he asked me, he said, wow, you're in pretty good shape. And I said, tell me about the race. And he said, well, you can still run it if you want. He said, it's a very slow growing cancer. And so you can run it. <laughs> so when you were first diagnosed, was it smoldering that was the diagnosis or was it active disease? It was active. At that time, they were not using that terminology. The, the MGUS and the smoldering and, you know, it, it's there, but it's not here. They weren't there. You either have it. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me a number. He said that almost 30% of your blood is impacted by this. For me, that sounds high. To him, it did not. But I said, okay, I, I need time. You know, I need just a moment to uh, digest this. And I took a couple of weeks to consider, not to make statements about what I'm going to do and not do, but just to let it air out. And I needed to listen to what was being said next, what I heard in my own heart. And after you were diagnosed, what treatment regimens did you undergo or are you on today? It was called the uh, Revlimid, Velcade, and Dexamethasone, which is an induction therapy. And this is the first line. Very often, people only get two, maybe the Revlimid and the Dex or the Velcade and the Dex. But I have a three-step, which is Revlimid, with Velcade and dexamethasone, and those were all chemotherapies, after which I did five regiments, which are 28-day cycles, five of those, and a month off, and then I did a stem cell transplant. How have you fared since this transplant? Have you had to continue maintenance therapy, or are you in a remission, or how are things going? I take a low-level maintenance and that's the extent of anything I do medically. You know, I go in every month for my lab. But, yeah, I, so I do the maintenance. Uh, I did not achieve that 100% zero number after the stem cell transplant. But I'm all right with that. I didn't need perfection to go forward. And as you were mentioned when you talked about your diagnosis is that you were training for a 15K. I understand you ended up completing that 15K eventually. What did it take to do so? 15K is a very difficult race. It's 9.3 miles. I had run it 18 years. 
And uh, these type races are my personal power. I assume everybody has something in their life that they use to motivate themselves. For me, it has been this 15K to maintain some type of physical strength all throughout my life to be able to put that strength to work. And it's hard on your bones. And as you get older, you know, I was in shape for it, so I wasn't concerned. So this hard on the bones thing, after I began to read information about myeloma and not knowing yet how far I was in, what damage had been done, I know that it, it, it will damage the bones. And in my idea, you know, I don't want to run and come down the hill and your bones can't take it. Now, my bones were strong enough, but these were cautions. And so when he told me that I could run the race, I had an immediate shift in priorities. The race was not as important anymore compared to this danger that he had talked to me about that had entered my life. I said, I'll raise versus cancer. I said, Look, can we start treatment? <laughs> you know, I'll run the race at another time. And, and that's what happened. We began the treatment and I began to, uh, of course, absorb what this treatment was going to do. And for the next year, I had the very next year, I wanted to run, couldn't do it. The following year, I went down and I did the first thing I'd ever done in my life. I ran a 5K. For me, that's a warm-up. And that was tough because I had been off almost for a year and a half. And uh, and then my weight fluctuated. I've never been up high in my weight. So my weight was high. And I said, I can't run 10 miles, you know, with this kind of weight. And it turned out, I said, I have to. I cannot continue to wait for perfection before I run this race. And so I ran last year and I completed the race and oh my, <laughs> you know, all the lights came on. I felt like, you know, I was moving back into an area where I could depend on myself physically to do anything I want to do. And my anything has kind of come down, so it's okay. But I have run that race. Took a lot of courage. I drove by myself to Florida from um, Carolina, which was about six hours. And uh, and I mentioned it because, you know, I thought to them, you know, you're going to run and uh, you're going to drive. And, you know, they were all afraid. So I tried not to tell them too much. This was my thing. And so I, I went down and I ran. And it was, it was a personal challenge to help get me beyond the mindset that you're injured, that you cannot do certain things. And uh, it's so important to me. When you talk about mindset, I understand before you retired, you worked as a medical device manufacturing in business with that, and you were also a pastor. How would you say your work as a pastor has informed your experience of living with myeloma? My goodness. There's a certain humility from that spiritual perspective when you look at the allness, the bigness of what's created us as human beings in this world we live in. It's huge. And so I tend not to take events and make them bigger than the moment. That begins to help me, and, and I have time to be reminded of what this body is that, that was made, you know, that, that we have, and how it's been able to endure and to respond and to recover. And, and so here we are. When I found out, you have this choice. Are you going to start praying for healing and, you know, take this away, God, and you know, and, 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 and those types of things came to my heart, but I couldn't find any peace in asking for healing. Isn't that something? 
And so I never to this point have prayed and asked God to heal me. But what I did was is I asked for endurance because I want to see what this is. There's some things you can only learn by experience. I want to know about this. So when I asked God to give me strength, it was strength to endure so that I can learn and see what it is that I could contribute. I wasn't afraid of what this was going to do. I put, you know, the doctors do what they do. I will do what I don't do. But there's more to this, and I want to see. And that's how I went in. I, I committed to the hospital. This is what you're going to do. I'm going to do everything you say, and I'm going to find out what I need to do. And I'm going to master my role. But I'm going to learn. And I began to learn. And as a pastor, I'm a lifelong learner, and I love and honor people. And I look at where they are, and how do you help people in this situation? I went into the situation to see, and I was able to learn, and I was able to recognize how, in fact, to help them without saying, God bless you, but how to really speak to where they were because I was familiar with it. And wow, yeah, that that's priceless, and it's part of what I do now because it's so much love involved. It's real. You're not dealing with toys. People don't hide when you talk to them about this stuff. You don't have to convince them to about anything. And so you're dealing with more truth, it appears, if they allow. You know, and that's the thing. When they open their heart and, and talk to me, the doctor has already given them information they're going to have to study for two years. <laughs> so I'm looking in their eyes, and I can see where they are. It was, if I may say so, there was a gentleman in the lobby, him and a young lady. They were both, you know, close to in mid-60s. And, and I, I was speaking to him. He was coming out, and I was talking to him and his wife, and I could just feel something between them. And I said, "Get your wife there." He said, "Yeah." I said, "Look at her. She looked like she was in love and been in love with you since she was five years old." <laughs> you know, I said, "Which one of you are the patient?" And he said, "I am." I said, "Well, she's taking such good care of you." And he looked over at her, and he began to cry. And that's where they are. They, they are more into their human, their human spiritual place than they are in their head. You know, I look to their heart and I begin to, to speak to their heart. That's, that's ministry. And it's, it's easy if I, as long as I don't go in there acting like I know stuff, because I don't. It's so different with each one of us. And, and they share and they know you care. And so I, I really get to engage humanity on a different level. What could be better than serving the children of the kids? Since your diagnosis, you've been an advocate for other patients, helping them to find the best access to care. And so with that in mind, what, and you kind of already touched on this with the couple that you just mentioned, what would you say to a newly diagnosed myeloma patient who may be feeling overwhelmed? And that's the thing. They usually ask for what they want. Uh, for me, with new patients, when I walk into the room, there's a message. Because just like myself, we had never seen anyone that had myeloma. And it sounds like it's a doomsday. And so when they see someone, uh, myself, that opens the door. And they say, you have myeloma? I say, yes, ma'am, I should do. And here's what has occurred. I, and then I can ask questions. Because once they relate and say that we're in the same place. Some of their fear goes down because suddenly they, they recognize I'm alive and I'm smiling and I usually have on a suit for that reason. 
to, to impress them. That, that is my objective, not impress them in a, a flippant way, but in a way where they see normality, they see your future, that you will get strong. And, and oftentimes the overwhelm is from a lack of information, a lack of security. They don't feel secure with the information they have. And so I go to them in, in, in their strength, whatever their strength is, what they're believing, where they may, you know, be. And and some of them have stories. Oh, my uncle, he had a problem and I might have it too. Yeah, you might and you might not. So which one are you going to prepare for? And so I go right into is where we are. Yes, the tears are real. It's okay. <laughs> you know, and so I don't go into the pre-prescribed set of, I'm going to say this, but I, I teach the class, it may be eight in there and I'll sit in there before it's my time. Uh, and they, they thought I was one of the, the, the doctors or something. And then again, when I stand up right then, I recognize certain people and, and where they are, you know, and what we need to do. And the information that they want is, is elementary. And I can speak elementary language. They just want to know why is it I can't sleep, you know, and what is this little pain? And so they just day to day. And so I help them separate what the doctors are going to do versus what they need to do. And uh, that's how I approach them. I approach them right where they are and give them something. Speaking of information, the IMF, part of our mission is empowering patients, providing them knowledge about the disease and, and the latest treatments available. When did you come in contact with the International Myeloma Foundation? It was during the, this induction phase, that first uh, four or five months. The cancer center that I am in, uh, they're extremely good at educating or offering various levels of education and uh, information, even if a lot of people don't take advantage of it. And in those sessions, they usually have on the table uh, many of the books from the International Myeloma Foundation. And I began to get those books, <laughs> you know, on understanding your test results. So they have books on clinical trials and what is multiple myeloma and just all the little details. And so I came in contact by reading so much of their material. And then finally I had the opportunity, not too recently, to, uh, to begin to really explore their, their website. But it started with the books. They were the foundation for my basic information. Uh, they were in support of many of the conferences that were in this area, both the small ones and one that came each year. I went to each one of them. They were mentioned very often by the medical training staff. You know, have you read this one, Robert? <laughs> you know, and so I found them an invaluable source because we were also at that time discouraging other patients from going on the internet and just reading things because there was so much error that was uh, critical uh, that was being pushed. So to find something that we could all trust and the doctor, yes, this is it. It was really, really helpful. And you are a Charlotte resident, so you may be familiar with what the IMF has begun there, which is the Empower Initiative. Empower is dedicated to removing barriers to care for the African-American community and improving outcomes in the disease. In your experience, what would you say are some of the barriers to healthcare access for African-American myeloma patients? I, I looked over that, and your question said, what were some of the barriers to health healthcare access 
for the African American, my first response is lack of access to <laughs> health care. And that may be anything from transportation to there not being in quality services in that area, whether they're in a rural area or smaller area. Uh, so that access to care has been a big hindrance as well as resource. They generally uh, don't have the, the insurance or the background to, well, to the insurance to pay for the care. That is something also. Uh, the mistrust is a hindrance. Oh, my goodness. And, and I say that because, uh, you know, it, it's something that's got to be a better way to educate and get beyond that block. And it's the mistrust of the medical uh, system based on historical trauma. It's real. It's real. It's there. And it's stuck in the hearts of many African-Americans when it comes to real serious things like this. The more serious it appears, the more we back away. That's got to be approached. I haven't built on it yet. There was a lack of knowledge around what's needed. You know, well, where, where do you need to go? Your oncologist, a specialist, you know, because we listen sometimes and then say, wait a minute. Where, do you, where are you getting treatment? And, and they'll say something. I said, you have a specialist. And, and sometimes... You know, being here in Charlotte, and, and you've got the cancer center here in many cities, we assume that specialists. And, and uh, when I saw the numbers, that no, not at all. There's so many that's being treated outside of uh, dealing with specialists. That becomes also a, a hindrance to, to the care. So that education process, education, insurance, and access. I think those are the three big ones that I've recognized and seen and talked to patients because there's, a, there's, for example, there's financial assistance for medication, financial assistance that was so generous that I was just so surprised and so grateful to know it was so many organizations that was helping people. But yet the people, the African-Americans, don't know, don't have the information. And they will qualify as fast as anyone else because it's not income-guided, not to the point that the majority of, of us would be impacted. They're well in, in six figures before they bother with you. So this information and education is being addressed. Yeah, the Empower, I, I, I've had conversations with uh, the director here in Greensboro, and they're, they're getting geared up to, to do some work. I intend to work with them. That's great. I mean, your insights so far of just listening to you have a great impact on the community and the myeloma community as a whole. Also, with the IMF, are you involved in any support groups, and what is that relationship like for you? Yes, I. you know, it was something that I think right after the stem cell transplant, I began uh, going to a support group here, and um, for two years I went, uh, maybe two years. It was what I needed. It was, it's, it's just, you know, it's not like so much information, but you're sitting in there with a room of individuals who are all going through the same thing, and it's an opportunity to listen and to discuss. Sometimes you find out, wow, I'm doing real good. You know, because they'll tell you about some of the challenges they have because this myeloma affects everyone so differently. And, and some come in and they look very difficult and others come in and they look really great and, or for that day. But the support group and this gathering, uh, IMF also has a finger in that. 
they make sure the material, reading materials are there. Uh, we have different type of uh, speakers that will come in from the organization. But I find that the support groups are very helpful. You're in a, a land that you never even dreamed about, and, and it would help. I said I'd be two years because at that point, that's all I need. I appreciate it. I'll go back. But I began to start working, and uh, they stay on the level with maybe the first uh, year or two. Yeah. And and that's where they need to be. They're in the right place. But I talked to the doctors. The doctors' time to put together groups that cover, say, from four to eight years. Those people, because they're living longer, their challenges are different, and they're still there. You know, you've got to deal with toxicity now after you've been taking that medicine for four or five years. <laughs> So uh, he, he, we were looking into that too. Okay, how do we how do we educate and keep up with the second tier? Other than just saying you're doing real well, yeah, but there's challenges. Don't keep taking that medication. You better keep up. Just to wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to share with listeners about your experience as living with myeloma or just living well in general on a day to day basis? For myself, I, I did not have a caretaker for a long time, so I'm wearing two hats. I had to keep up with my patients. <laughs> you know, he likes to do things. So, so learning, cooking, making sure, you know, the, the whole, you know, I, I live that way, but now I have, to, I have to cook a different type of food. My cleaning is concentrated a little more heavily. My walking, my point is that my normal patient really has to take responsibility for their diet, their exercise, and their communication. You know, this is not intended for you to hurt or suffer. And sometimes we suffer in silence, thinking, oh, this is cancer, you're supposed to suffer. No, uh, no, we, we, we got some good things going on. And if something is uncomfortable, you must tell your doctor. And, and being on the internet is nice. And has anyone ever had this problem? Please don't do that. Call your doctor, your nurses. And, and ask, say, I'm having this issue. And they'll tell you, listen, that's common. Here's what we want you to do. And, and you find out you don't have to go through the difficult phases. The quality of life is much better when you are communicating and trusting that medical team. They've seen uh, most of it already. And so I would encourage the patients, as a please, uh, you don't have to become a super athlete. But during the course of the week, walk a few days, you know. And uh, put the sugar away a few days. And just take good care of yourself. And, and I'll tell you, the, the advancements that are made gives you that quality of life that if you support it and do your part, your children, your spouse, your family, they'll, they'll be all right. And while I'm speaking of that, if they're new for year, try not to entertain everyone. You know, if, you, if you're just coming out of stem cell, don't entertain anyone. Just like people, I need a mom. But take seriously what's told. If they say put the mask on, you know, put the mask on. Your immune system can't handle the kind of bacteria that nine children will bring into the room. And so, yeah, pay attention and be a doer, not just a healer. I am speaking with a nurse, and she was telling me all these things. The patient was telling her to listen. It's something I found out. Myeloma does not make you smart. It does a lot of things. We don't grow an intellect because of a disease. So we have to trust. Don't argue with the doctors. Trust them. If you don't know what they're saying, ask them twice. If you've got a real bad sense, then, you know, there's other decisions. 
I think that there's so much positive expectation and, and that the patients are learning well and taking responsibility that uh, we have a rise in our sense of hope. I just hope that we continue. We just have to get to them for them to know that. Thank you, Robert, for your time today. I think just by your example your and how you live each day and how you help others is a good example for everybody in the myeloma community and an inspiration in itself. So thanks again for your time. You've been listening to A Day in the Life podcast brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. To learn more about myeloma and the IMF, visit us at myeloma.org.